Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with best-selling author, entrepreneur, instructor, and fighter pilot, Dominic Tyke. His name is Slice, and he brings his fighter pilot background and applies them to guide pilots, athletes, business owners, and students with afterburner techniques that American fighter pilots use to ensure mission completion. He knows that busy individuals and teams struggle with information overload. Since 2002, Slice has guided hundreds of students toward their goals. He's got a great story. Enjoy. Well, cool, man. Well, nice to meet you. Thank you for taking a minute out today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. You bet. So speaking of the heat, let's just get the elephant out of the room. I'm wondering, how did you survive the last three years with COVID? How did you get through that time period? And how has it changed the way that you do things now? Yeah, so we, um, during COVID, actually, as a American fighter pilot instructor, we had a we had students coming into the schoolhouse that were really struggling because of COVID, the lockdowns, the masking, all that stuff. And um, I think a lot of people underscored the value of having people around and the camaraderie and the stories and all the lessons learned that come from sharing those life lessons with, with people around you in the workplace, at home, and what have you. And the class struggled a lot. And I just remember being on a mountain bike ride and looking out over the city and just sitting there and going, you know, I think a lot of people are going to get crushed by COVID, but I'm going to, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And so up to this point, I had started um, a couple of businesses. Um, and so I just, I built a, a, a website and I just started emailing this, this one class, a short message. And my, my pitch to them was in less than two minutes, you can read this short message and it's once a week. And it'll help you through your your training. And it wasn't necessarily just fighter pilot information. It was more mindset stuff. And so that's what that's where a single set a single seat mindset grew out of was was the initial part of COVID. And that's where it started. And it's it's grown into so much more since then. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and that's really what it was about. I think when you got your your brain wrapped around what that time period meant, you had to just decide what you were going to do. And I think what you were before that was only going to be magnified. So if you're that kind of guy that wasn't going to let let life push you around, it was going to get magnified. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I think that's, that's a, the, the important lesson behind all of that is, um, is it, it may be a personality trait or just maybe it's just a decision. Even if you're not that kind of person, I think it's just a decision you got to make in your mind. Hey, I, you know, I'm not going to be the next X, Y, Z, but I know that I can level up or at least get something out of this. And it's a, um, it's, it, I'm stealing this quote, so I didn't come up with this, but I'm drawing a blank on who said it. But um, I think it goes a little bit along the lines of if you reframe, you can never lose. So, and not lie to yourself, but reframe a situation. So if you have a business deal that goes sideways, if you uh, bomb a test at school, if you, you know, say something stupid to your wife, which I do on a constant basis, just reframe that. Okay. I learned from it. And if you learn from it and you don't run away from the fear, you run towards it and go, okay, how can, what's the lesson behind that? I think there's a lot of power to that. I agree for sure. So there's so many things on paper that are a part of who you are. So what I would like to do is kind of simplify it a little bit. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day. Okay. One of the, one of the kids looks up and says, Hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? Very shortly, I think a 
a lot of little kids know what fighter jets are. And I just say, I'm a fighter pilot. And then all of the kids are going to be like, I want to be you. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy too. Cause if I wear my uniform and then I bring some little fighter pilot sticks and I go, I'm a fighter pilot. That's what, that's my job. And it's yeah. not really a job. It's a, it's just a, it's a, it's just an incredible opportunity that I get to go do every day. Um, yeah, I, I, I really think I have to, sometimes I go to the jet, even yesterday I flew for the first time in a couple of weeks. So I had to take some time off, but I just went to the jet and was like, it was exciting again to just start the jet and, and do it all over again. And I've been flying airplanes for 22 years now. You know, I was telling my wife the other day, I, I hit this point in my life as a baseball fan where I realized that baseball players are like cats. They're all kind of hanging out. They're kind of like lazy, just kind of throwing the ball. But when they have to react, it's yeah. lightning. It's like a cat. Like all of a sudden yeah. you're landing on your feet. You're doing things that you didn't think were possible. That kind of reminds me of what a fighter pilot is. You guys are just, <laughs> you know, you're hanging out. But when that moment comes, you're all of a sudden this cat. Does it seem like that's how it all kind of pans out? Kind of. I, I like I like how you explain that analogy because I, I'm allergic to cats, so I'm not a big fan of cats. However, if you made that um, a cheetah or a lion right. or a Bengal tiger, a big cat, okay, I can I can um, I can yeah. get after that. And in fact, what's funny is that um, uh, Cajun, um, one of the Thunderbird pilots, he ended up crashing a number of years ago. Rest his soul. Um, he would call everybody. And he would say, hey, what's up, big cat? And that was his <laughs> thing that he would say. That's and it. would catch you off guard because people never say that. And yeah. so, you know, a lot of us in the community have adopted Cajun's little tagline of, hey, what's up, big cat? That's and so cool, cat. man. Yeah. That's so cool because it's so true. It just did. And I realized that my son's on the spectrum. And when he was younger, I put him into this uh, contest to say play ball. And he always had a really hard time with speech. And when we were waiting for him to go up to say play ball, which he did fabulously, it was a really cool moment. I just was watching the baseball players and I'm like, you guys are just all kind of hanging out out here, you know, just yeah. kind of doing your thing, taking it easy, getting gum, throwing seeds in your mouth, doing all these regular slow things. But when things happen, man, yeah. they're diving for balls, hitting home runs, doing all these crazy things in an instant, you know. Um, yeah. so let me ask you this. When you were in the third grade, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? Okay. So in, in third grade, let's, let's see, how old are you in, uh, what grade are you typically in when you're seven? Uh, that's probably second, maybe second. Yeah. And so on my seventh birthday, I built a little F4 fighter jet with my, with my old man on the, the kitchen table of my great grandfather's table, uh, out on his ranch. And, um, What's ironic is you've been talking about baseball a lot because I played baseball five to seven days a week all the way through junior college. Yeah. And uh, I was playing a lot of baseball, but I also started flying airplanes at 16. And that moment at seven, when I built that fighter jet, I knew I was either going to play Major League Baseball or I was going to fly fighter jets. Right on. I, but nobody ever told me I couldn't do it. It was just in my mind. And I think that's an important piece, too, is as a parent, or as a mentor, coach, uncle, what have you, you just never know what lives inside of somebody's um, brain. And if you, one, don't tell them that they can't do it. So silence is better than obviously crushing somebody's dreams. 
but then you know i think the question that i would ask a lot of young kids is why not what's holding you back you know yeah it's it's not that you can't do it it's why not do it type of thing so let's get to kind of the nuts and bolts of how this happened for you um where were you born and raised and what were some of the things that went into the seeds that made you want to to be a baseball player and to to, to look to the stars that early on and become who you are today so i alluded to it before was the the people around you right so i had some uncles that played a lot of baseball uh and they were very good um you know, and then as they got older, they started playing softball. But then I had cousins that played baseball. The sports programs had decent ball teams. Um, so I grew up around that. Um, and and for me, that I was a pretty quiet kid, believe it or not. And that was my way of just kind of proving myself to the homies around me that, you know, and, and there was I remember the day like it was yesterday when I tried out for the varsity baseball team. I was in eighth grade, so I was still in middle school. And I hit every single baseball during uh, baseball practice off the left field fence or over the fence. Wow. And I've never done that before. And it was just one of those days. And I'm glad it was on the tryout day that that happened because I got I got a position to play center field as a as a middle schooler uh, every once in a while on a varsity team. It was, it was it was phenomenal. So there was there was a lot of that. It was my way of kind of proving myself because I was quiet. So that's where sports were for me. And it also kept uh figuratively my nose clean so it kept me out of the drugs and 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 the junk that a lot of the other kids were were falling into um additionally we live by a lot of little um a little airfields in spokane uh washington up in the northwest and anytime the weather was good the little airplanes came out to fly so there was there was always airplanes there was ultralights out in the field the farmers back then flew ultralights all the time to go take a look at their crops and then we were on the extended runway center line for Fairchild Air Force Base back when they had B-52 uh, bombers and those B-52s would fly over our house and we were perched up on a hill um, overlooking Mount Spokane in the valley and those jets it, you, I remember laying in the field and I felt like I could reach up and touch the jet because it would just completely engulf the sky as they came in to land I think there was just a lot of influ uh, baseball and and aviation influence around me as I was growing up uh, it definitely intrigued me and um, as I grew up, I, I didn't have any pilots in my family and there were no major league baseball players. So uh, in a way, the deck was stacked against me. And I guess my thought as a kid was, was why not? Nobody's telling me that I can't do this. Um, I'm just going to take the next step and, and I'm going to go to practice. I'm going to play ball and I'm going to go. I'm going to turn my homework in. And I just kept going one step at a time. So who was a hero for you growing up? Oh, boy. I don't. I don't really have a one person hero growing up, you know, because I've thought about this. I have, you know, my, like I said, my dad kind of built that fighter jet and he stoked that aviation interest. But then my uncle Todd, he worked for Alaska Airlines as a mechanic and he he put me in the cockpit of a commercial. I don't think you can do this nowadays, but he took me out on the ramp and he, he I was up in the cockpit and they were doing engine runs on a big commercial airliner when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old and just feeling the whole jet, just thinking, sitting there. And I remember turning around looking to the back of the jet and I was like, this thing's as big as an apartment. And these guys are sitting in the seats and that was a defining day. And I didn't tell my uncle this at the time because I didn't want to seem arrogant or like I'm better than you. But I was like, I don't want to work on these things. I want to fly them 
because the guys sitting there in the seats, they were running the motors and looking at all the gauges and everything. And I was like, this is the best view in the world is right up here in the front. Yeah, that's wild. That's that reminds me of the 80s, that recklessness, like how many dreams were hatched because somebody did that. I mean, I, I remember one of the coolest people I knew when I was a kid. There was a gal that I had a crush on and she took me to a Royals game and it was a playoff game. And it was back in the day with George Brad and all of that. And he got me an autograph. And on the way home, he let me like steer the wheel and did all this reckless stuff. And I, he was probably drinking, you know, at that time. And he probably <laughs> just was full of liquid courage. But I remember how cool that was. Like this guy knew George Brad. I got an autograph. There was all these reckless things. But if that didn't happen right there, which we're all overly protective in this modern day and era. Yeah. The, the dreams, you know, how many dreams get hatched because of things like that, you know? You know, that's such a cool, cool story. And it kind of reminded me of just, you know, going to a, a Mariners ball game growing up and, and seeing Randy Johnson pitch yep. and, you know, A-Rod's playing and Ken Griffey Jr. And, you know, got, you got all these names on the field. Yep. And they would always lose when I watched them. Right. But I knew that there was there was something magical about what was happening on the field, even if it unfortunately was on an individual basis uh, among the players. But watching Randy Johnson throw uh, a small object above 100 miles an hour consistently for seven, eight, nine innings was was a treat. And for as tall as he was, you know, the thing about Randy Johnson is he's a professional photographer now. I think he's huh. just like a regular guy you might want to look it up it was intriguing i saw it the other day i don't know if it's marine biology there's something that he's doing that's niche wow. and he's just another guy with a camera on the side and kind of adopted another life you wow. know That'd but be tough yeah yeah so it's i mean he's just that kind of guy seems like if he gets honed in on something he's in you know so yeah, i'll never forget that bird he hit that that one pitch where the yep. bird disintegrated <laughs> I remember that like it was yesterday when I was growing up. I watched it over. Well, they played there. There was no social media or anything. So you no. had to watch it on the news, right? So you had to sit there and wait for the commercials. And then they, Randy Johnson, the bird exploding, and then they would reverse it and exploding. Yep. <laughs> One of the most iconic. I wonder where that ball is. It has to be at Cooperstown. Something's going on with that thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. So speaking of Randy Johnson and these figures we brought up, if you could meet anybody alive on the planet right now, who would it be? Who would you love to meet? Who would I love to meet? And and they're alive right now. Yes. Oh, geez. Um, I know dead people that I would like to meet. Um, we can open it up. I mean, I'd like to meet Jesus. I think he would be just such a touchdown. And you've probably, that's probably no surprise uh, to you. You've probably heard that before. Um, I don't know. I think it'd be kind of cool to meet Trump. Just not that I'm a big like Trump fan or anything, but um, one of my businesses, I own real estate um, on a very, very small scale compared to him, of course. But um, I own some apartment real estate in one of my businesses and, uh, you know, real estate. I read a lot of his books. I don't agree with everything he does, just like anybody. But um, I think it'd be kind of cool to, to shake his hand. Um, you know, another guy that's really funny that <laughs> and this is more the comedy aspect of me. But I don't do you know who? Um, uh, JP Sears is yeah yeah the yeah comedian uh-huh I'd like to meet him just because he's such a unique dude and his view on the world has shifted so much from when he started out and to, to now yeah yeah that would yeah. be really cool for sure yeah. so 
what is it for you that's your motivation? I mean, you're doing some high level things that most humans will never do in in their lives. What gets you up? What gets you through the day? So uh, thanks for bringing that up. I think, you know, a few five, six years ago, I went through a really big mental breakdown uh, physiologically, but my mind started it and my whole body shut down on me. And so um, granted, you know, everybody's got family issues and everybody's got, you know, life issues, but then you pile that on with um, kind of an achievement mindset, I think is what I had going on where I was just a, a high achiever, but I really hadn't defined success for myself. And after a couple of deployments, and unfortunately, you know, part of being in the military is that you may be called upon to defend, which means killing people, and you start adding all of these life experiences and your brain starts to mess with you. Uh, quite a bit, you know, did I do the right thing? Could I have done things differently? And I just remember it, I was stepping out the door to go fly one day. And the guy at the desk, the pilot at the desk, um, he looked at all of us and he said, you guys ready to fly? And I said, Nope, not. And it was the only time in my career that I did that. And that started a very painful process of dealing with what was in my mind, kind of unpacking all of that. Um, so I say that because it can give people hope that you don't have to get there in the first place. And if you're um, predominantly male, I would think. And if you're a police officer or a firefighter or a fighter pilot or a doctor or anybody in a high stakes community. And the thing that you have that going for you, Joe, is that you get to talk. So everything can you and talking is not something that I wanted to do, right? I wanted I, I'm tough. I got this right. But mm -hmm. talking was the thing that worked me out of that because that helps you solidify what's going on in your own mind. Yeah. And so as I grew as I as I, I remember one day, so I was, I, I, um, wigged out for a while for months and months and months, and I was going to therapy. I knew I needed to do that. Um, I, I would, um, my wife stood by me the whole time, which was a lifesaver. And she just, and I, I looked at her and I was like, I don't know what's going on, but I'm going to keep doing this. And one day I woke up and I said, you know what? I'm sick of, <laughs> I'm sick of doing this. I'm going to put my boots on and I'm starting to get better. Uh, today's the day. And that was kind of a defining thing. And then I, I, and then I went from an achievement mindset to success mindset. So what does success mean? So once I define that, there's also a trap in that too, because if you define success, once you achieve success, you kind of stop your story. Mm -hmm. And so what that led me to even after that was the bigger why, right? And there's books written about this. People talk about it all the time, but the significance behind what you're doing. So if your story, if whatever you're working on stops at some point, if you buy a $20 million apartment and you sell it for 40 million, what are you gonna do with that 20 million bucks? If you're gonna go to Vegas and blow it and you know end up uh, in a van down by the river, as they say, um, that's not a good plan. So what, what's your why? So if you're gonna take 20 million bucks and you're gonna start a cancer nonprofit, if you're gonna, you know, uh, Randy Johnson, if you're gonna take pictures and help marine biology or whatever you happen to be doing, that bigger significance is really what changed my life. And so when we started Single Seat Mindset, it's just a group of fighter pilots. We're getting ready to publish our third book of Single Seat Wisdom. And there's uh, 50 fighter pilot stories uh, published between these three volumes of these books. It's never been done before. Um, they're very unique and they're very short because we got everybody got short attention spans nowadays. And the, the beauty behind that is that not only are we sharing fighter pilot stories, unlike it's ever been done before, we give all the money to a children's cancer nonprofit. Wow. So, um, I know it's it's not huge yet, but we've um, as of this date, we've given thirty six thousand dollars to this children's cancer nonprofit just by writing three books. Yeah. And this was just an idea that started in covid. 
Um, yeah. So that's been kind of, I think the bigger thing that I looked at was the significance piece. My kids can destroy and rip apart and fight over the real estate business when I'm gone. They can uh, sell my house for a couple shekels and move on, but they can't travel around the world and pull these books off of people's shelves. Yeah. So there's some significance behind that. And, and I think that's important as you roll out of bed every morning, if your business is about money, cause I, I had a business, I owned it. I, I, um, stopped that business, but it was all about money and it didn't give me the gas that I needed. When I, my feet hit the floor in the morning, I just was kind of lost after a while. It was exhausting. Yeah. So you get the chance to do something that a lot of people romanticize, whether it's in movie or otherwise. What is that euphoria feel like? You've done it a lot, but if you could just explain to the civilian brain, what does that euphoria feel? What What is that feeling? So there's, um, is it called dopamine? Is that what your brain yeah. really likes, right? So these dopamine hits, which is the it's the, you know, you eat a piece of candy, it's the sugar that gives you that high, right? Yeah. And just like anything, believe it or not, um, as a fighter pilot, if I were to fly, because um, I've done this before quite a bit in my career, um, and, and been super lucky to fly a lot. And when you fly a lot, a lot, a lot, you can at times, just like riding a, a fast motorcycle, you can kind of forget about the danger and the periphery things. And then also, you've been hit with that dopamine so much that just like anything, um, it's, it, it, it comes down, you need almost more. It's like a drug almost, right? So I alluded to it yesterday. I flew for the first time in, I want to say three and a half weeks. Cause I, I had some time off and then there was a death in the family and, you know, we had to deal with, with family stuff first. I need my mindset right before I step back into the jet. And I took off yesterday and it gave me just goosebumps right now, but it, it was back. I was like, I'm back. Right. But it, um, <laughs> It was still really, really fun, exhilarating. I got to fly with another instructor pilot. The student got sick, which meant that me and this other instructor pilot went out and we just we just ripped around, had a had a blast. That's great. That's really yeah. cool. So of all the things that you've done, accomplished, and seen in your life, what are you the proudest of? Being so I had a spiritual reversion to Catholicism. And um, that has changed my life more than anything. And anytime I go away from um, Christian teachings in my life, if, if I violate those, things start to get jacked up. And um, literally, praise God, I have that now. And it has made my um, marriage better. I um, it, trying to be humble, but I'm a better dad because of it. I know of it because people have told me that. So I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I would like to believe I'm better in the workplace because it gives it kind of reframed my mindset and what I should be doing. Uh, it allows me to approach situations differently. And so I would say like being a man of God a, a, um, has really, really changed my life in, in ways that I can't even can't even explain. I mean, there's it's just unexplainable on a on a spiritual dimension. So everyone out there has a perception of you, family, friends, colleagues clients but you run the show what's your perception of you who do you think you are i am a um recovering um uh achiever essentially is how i would say that and what that means is that many times joe unfortunately throughout my life anytime i burned people it wasn't because i didn't i disliked people i was so goal and achievement oriented 
that a lot of the periphery things as I was achieving that didn't matter to me. And so a lot of people could view that as I was abusing their relationship or abusing them, um, not directly, but I, I kind of forgot about the periphery things because I'm like, I'm on a mission to get here. And the problem is, is it kind of has a scorched earth theory or a scorched earth um, perception of when I achieve that, I turn around and I go, crap, I did it again. I, I'm here and I made it, you know, but I forgot about a lot of the things along the way. And so part of me that can bring in some guilt, which isn't good, it can bring in fear of trying to do more next time. But instead of doing that, I've reframed it. I've gone back. I've, you know, asked for forgiveness. I've, I've tried to foster those relationships as I go. But then I learn from that and I go next time I need to be doing these things along the way. So we can get to the same result. We can get to the same um, you know, the same end state, but we can have a lot more fun along the way. And that was just something that I had to learn trial and error over the years. Yeah. Um, and I'm stubborn. So, um, just admitting to myself that I suck, I'm going to do better next time, <laughs> suck <Yeah>. less, jump higher, <laughs> run yep. faster. Yep. It's, it's the perils of the male ego. I totally get it. So, you know, we romanticize fighter pilots, obviously, with Top Gun and, and all of those movie franchises. Let's say you were depicted on the silver screen. Who's going to be the actor that will play your life story? The actor that would play. So I'll, I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. I have a really hard time on the spot remembering any actor's names. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so... Um, Look, on the silver screen. I haven't even thought it's not Tom Cruise. Right. Right. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> um, so the the guy that likes me, and I don't know his actor name, and I don't even remember his character name, but Top Gun Maverick, yeah. the guy that um thought he uh was um so I'm 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 usually the guy, I'm not the guy out front that's super cocky and arrogant that a lot of people fighter think fighter pilots are like. That in fact, that persona does come out in some and it overshadows the other 90% of the guys. Yeah. Right? So I'm not that guy, but I am. I like to have fun and I like to kind of, you know, poke here and there. I like to poke the bear a little bit. And if people are doing stupid things, I'm usually the one to speak up. So I'm usually the guy that's like maybe the second or third tier back. Yeah. Whoever, whoever you want to look at in one of those, uh, you know, Top Gun movies. And I'm the one that's kind of kicking somebody's chair or making a, you know, kind of a comment in the back to get people to laugh, to keep things light. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't like it when things get all serious and people start to wig out about things that, especially if it's not important. Yeah. And I'm usually the guy that tries to take the edge off of that. That's cool. That's a great role. Absolutely. So Dominic, if anyone wants to get your books, if they want to learn more about you, anything about your world, where do they go? Yeah. Single seat mindset com so single as in single seat fighter pilots um and we fly single seat fighter jets and it's single seat mindset.com there's a bunch of different offshoots on that website we've kind of designed it um so you might find yourself in a in, in one of our ancillary websites um from there but you can find the books um there's a free program that i alluded to earlier that we we um we designed after multiple classes for fighter pilots and now we've geared it towards really anybody in you know maybe the last year of high school all the way through college maybe the first or second third year of the workforce if you're looking for some some definition and very short impactful steps we've got the competent wingman program 
It's completely free and sign up for it. And it just kicks you those little messages like I was talking about earlier. But singleseatmindset.com um, for your guests, if they go to singleseatmindset.com and put forward slash podcast gift, it's all one word. The first three people there, I'll send them a no kidding hard copy of the Single Seat Wisdom Volume 1 book series. Um, Excellent for completely free and there's no strings attached. I'm not gonna bug them with emails and all sorts of weirdness. Um, it's just our way of giving back uh, for that. Right on. Dominic, this has been great, man. Thank you for opening up. Thanks for your story. I appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.